Chapter 15 is a debate on military affairs. We have two parts to this chapter. The first part is Shinja talking at court to a king and one of um, his ministers or feudal lords. And then the second half, he's answering questions from some individuals, probably his students. Even though this chapter is very long, you can summarize Shunzi's argument fairly simply. When looking at the military strength of a country, one should be more concerned with the country's fundamentals rather than strategies of war. So when he's at court and he's talking to Lord Lin Wu and King Xiaochong. Lord Lin Wu is bringing up some strategy advice. So he refers to Sun and Wu, and that Sun is probably the very same Sun Tzu who wrote the very famous Art of War. And that book's famous and people uh, refer to this for all sorts of things, not just military strategy, but business strategy and many, many other sorts of endeavors. And this book is not something that Shunzi is disagreeing with. Because Shunzi insists that the role of a true king is not to be that of a general. So if you're the head of state, you're not concerned about exactly what happens on the battlefield. You are concerned with having a state that is strong and cohesive. So in order to do this, of course, you have to go back to the fundamentals of governing with Ren, Yi, and Li, ensuring that people have the proper positions, the proper rank, and that the common people are educated and that the ec uh, economic fundamentals are being sustained. And this is what makes the state overall strong. Then the feudal lords, and that's a rough translation. Feudalism in the Zhou dynasty does not work like European feudalism. You can think about this more simply as high-ranking people that are not as high-ranking as the duke or the king. So that should simplify you, uh, simplify the situation for you. So Sunza says, what I speak of is the military affairs of someone who is Ren and the intentions of a true king. What you propose to value is favorable circumstances in scheming after power, and what you propose to practice is shiftiness and deception in offensive invasions. And these are the affairs of mere feudal lords. So the feudal lords would be the people leading the armies in this case. And so they're the ones who are strategizing, uh, using fakes, feints, and organizing different lines and saying, okay, this is a weak point in the uh, enemy's formation and we can 
maybe move maneuver around that or into that you know that's the kind of thing that's meant for the generals to study and master now the king again he is there to unify the state harmoniously and so that people trust in him people are willing to actually die for him people are inspired by him and that's why Shenzhi says everything that depends on the generals and commanders who serve you is a secondary matter that's a secondary mat matter because you let those people once you find trustworthy and talented people those are the ones to make the strategies and execute them and then the people are the ones who are going to be the ones holding the weapons producing the weapons and producing the food that will keep them numerous and plentiful there's a section around starting around line 115 that's pretty interesting he's comparing these different states within the larger Zhou empire and again the feudalism the feudalistic structure doesn't quite match up with that of Europe's so what we have here is essentially independent states at this point in history the Qi the Qin uh, the Wei so forth and it's interesting here how they have decided to set up uh, their their forces and how they recruit for them so chi uh basically they're paid amount of money if per person that they are uh, that they slain on the battlefield so shunza is uh critical of this he says that there's hardly any difference between this approach and hiring menial servants in the marketplace and then sending them off to work in other words this is essentially the same as hiring mercenaries and so the problem with hiring such persons is that they don't have much loyalty and when times get tough they disband with the way it's a little different but the problem is that that they have a sort of pension system. So Shunzi says that their way of doing things is such that after several years, the soldiers go into decline, but their benefits cannot be taken from them. The benefits are things like tax exemptions uh, or extra land. Um, so even when they are rotated out of the service, no alterations are made to what they were given. Uh, in essence, Sersa says, waste territory is large, but the income from the taxes are sure to dwindle. These are the forces of an endangered state. What's interesting about all of these is that they do have certain parallels to what's happening today. And we'll first we'll talk about Qin, and then we can make these comparisons. Qin is the last state that Shunzi is critical of. He says that the way that they rear the common people is tight and austere, and they employ the common people with harsh, harsh and ruthless manners. So they are essentially using very strong incentives to, to organize the common people. 
when they do achieve successes, they are rewarded. And because since it does not point out, like in, in the state of Qi, that there are no base rewards, we can assume that there is some base level of rewards. Um, in other words, even if you are not successful, you still get a little something. So as a result, Qin, because it's, it has a large population and has a lot of territory, it is able to tax a lot out of the people and therefore use that to win battles. Now, none of this is as good as the ways practiced by Tang and Wu and the former kings. They use Ren and Yi to rule and unify their states. So in lines 193, Shunzi says, ritual Yi and transformation through education, these are the things that make one's forces coordinated. On the other hand, using deception to go against deception, cunning, and ineptitude or aptitude may make a difference here or there, but it is not strong compared to ruling through ritual E and transformation through education. And in line 210, Shinzo continues and says, as for attracting people with incentives and choosing among them selectively, exalting the use of circumstances, deception, and rewarding accomplishments, um, this does not ensure success. This only results in um, countries alternating as either the vanquished or the victor. So what does this have to do with today? I think that most countries use some sort of variation of, of these different strategies that are inferior to rolling with Ren Ian Lee. As I've talked about before, no government today governs with Ren, Yi, and Li. No government today prioritizes these things. So that's not to say that these governments are completely morally bankrupt, but it is to say that morality and justice are not being prioritized, either by actions or even in words. So if you're an American, Usually what people talk about is more along the lines of economics. Occasionally there will be some sort of moral issue, but the moral issue is so extreme and uh, sometimes even bizarre that it more ends up as some sort of wedge issue to split apart people's votes rather than actually fixing, trying to fix some sort of large economic problem that that everybody is affected. In other words, this is not E. This is more taking one little moral issue at a time and getting everybody worked up about it. E is much greater than, than that. It's a whole, uh, at the very least, a moral framework, not one issue at a time. So a, a, a morally righteous leadership would focus on the family in general not focus on this particular question of who can get married or who can't. So when people 
argue about something like gay marriage or uh, whether somebody who was born a man can end up going to the women's locker room. This is, these are not quite at the level of discussion that would constitute e-governing. And in any case, the fact that there is squabbling over this kind of issue, there's, there's, there's a lot of a criminous argument around this issue, simply demonstrates that there is a overall, overall lack of e-morality in the state. Okay, so let's look at Qi again. This is where they are hiring people and they're not leading with loyalty. And a lot of countries, including the, the superpower, uh, the global hegemon, is essentially working this way. Because if you ask these people uh, or even thank them for their service, what they'll, what they'll say and think is they didn't really do it because of some great sense of duty. They wanted to uh, go to college or they had to because their country uh, requires them to serve. So this is not using awe-inspiring loyalty to have people willing to fight for you. In essence, even though they're not called mercenaries, they act like that because their major motivation is financial reward and or to evade punishment. Ways um, has a, uh, a system of, of setting up essentially pensions. So you get these rewards and you get to keep them even though you're no longer an active, uh, an active soldier. And the problem with this is that over time, it dwindles. So again, we're relying on money and rewards here, but it's, it's very draining on the state. And this is also something that uh, you could think of as many countries falling into, including the global hegemon. And even if the country is relatively wealthy, you still have to pay all these people, all these benefits, and it's it's very draining. There's something else that is also an insidious result from this is that with all these extra benefits uh, from simply signing up to to fight or be willing to fight, the issue is that you have these people who are not going to be useful in the battlefield but have a lot to offer in different ways. And it's good to make use of them so if your state's finances are being poured into these people who are veterans and at the and they're not really doing anything after they're done serving then what you have is some poverty left a lack of jobs a lack of money for those who either didn't sign up or they're done serving and they are trying to work as civilians but there's a lack of jobs there because so much of the money and financial resources are going to an ever more expensive military force. 
So by sucking all of this money into paying people to be active in the military, money is not infinite, so that what's left doesn't really sustain the people who are not serving. So if you keep giving all this land, which is how people were rewarded back then for joining uh, up to serve, if you give all this land, land is limited, the government's not producing more land, and then so whatever land is left, the people who are not serving or never served don't get to have very much of that. So even though they could be very good farmers, they don't get land. Even though they could be very good merchants, maybe the taxes are high and they go to the soldiers and they continue to receive these pensions. Overall, it's a major drain on society. So again, this is not as good as people simply defending their home because they believe in the home and they believe in the leadership that that is part of their home. Now, out of these, Chin is the most, most powerful, but here we have, again, a similar problem. The problem with Chin is that it is relying on its great population and its huge territory, and that should also sound familiar. Um, China has a huge population. Uh, for somewhere like uh, for like America, the, the amount of resources is just amazingly abundant. And I can't ever emphasize enough how much this plays a role because people will say, well, what about what about America? Isn't this a little different? America is not fundamentally different, but it looks different because the degree from which it departs from normal activity is great. And that difference comes from the abundant resources in the United States. It is, number one, a huge amount of land. Number two, that land itself contains many resources of great diversity. You can find almost anything there. Whereas other countries that have comparable land mass don't have the same kinds of resources you can dig out of the ground. So once you understand this, American success has a lot to do with the reasons why Chin is successful. It has a lot of resources and it has much resources that it taxes. In other words, it, the resources enable it easily to have a strong economy. And because it has such a abundant economy, you can tax a lot from it and then use that to make itself militarily strong. And that's exactly the situation you have for the United States. It is not because things function so well. It is sort of like meeting somebody, he's won the Powerball, he has billions of dollars at that point. And so as long as he is not super reckless, he can be wealthy and well off for a long time because he's fortunate enough to luck into it. But it does not mean that this person, had he never won that lottery, would even be able to eke out a middle class level of existence without that great fortune handed to him. So that's how resources work. That's how money works. That's why money is not a good indication of a person's virtue or his intelligence. If you have a lot of resources to start out with, you are naturally going to dominate your competitors. You're naturally going to do very well. So 
the territory is more important for explaining what's going on. But just like people who win the lottery, that success is not going to last forever. Eventually, one will run himself into the ground if he only relies on his fortune and he never has to deal with a situation where he has to become, uh, where, where he has to develop himself and we ha where he has to figure out what works and what doesn't. So the way that it's done is, uh, in, in, in countries today, is that they try to use incentives, they try to use laws, and then they try to use deception and circumstances and so forth. Um, these countries, they have a lot going on behind the scenes, and they manipulate other countries. They manipulate the way that people vote and their, their very own culture, and they do these things in order to increase their power. But it's not a stable way to go about things, and it ruins the country inside as well long term. What, what, whenever a country does something awful to another country, whatever that is, eventually that kind of behavior goes back inside that country. That's something that's a repeated pattern, and you never see that uh, go away. So if, if people are thinking, okay, in this different country, I'll just be an immoral, awful person and cruel, that still stays within the person. So when they come back to the country, they act that way as well. So countries that are always going to war, this is what causes their country within their own borders to become worse. All right. Now, uh, eventually, there are, there's this question about, uh, can we ask about the proper way to be a general? Perhaps Lord Lin Wu and King Xiao Chong uh, really wanted to answer this question anyway. They were still, they didn't really believe what Shunzi had to say. They just wanted to go and say, well spoken. Well, can we still talk about this thing that we were originally talking about? Uh, so Shunzi um Shunza abides and he says he starts to talk about generals i'm going to point out some of the more interesting things because a lot of it simply just makes sense and it's not really worth saying oh you sh your order should be strict uh or your rewards and punishments should be certain and you should plan ahead that's not really something we have to go over that's really interesting However, in line 265, Shunzi says that there are three cases in which the general will not accept a command from his ruler. And uh, like, similar to when a minister refuses to obey the king, we have a willingness to face the consequences. So don't occupy an unsound position. Uh, don't attack an unconquerable foe and futilely and vainly waste the lives of your subordinates and do not mistreat the common folk including that of another country don't mistreat the common folk so the general should be willing to face execution in order to refuse these commands that do lead to occupying an unsound position, 
attacking an unconquerable foe and mistreating the common people. So if you look at, uh, say, the American Civil War, we have plenty of generals, nearly all of them, uh, on both sides, um, they don't follow this. Because with the Battle of Gettysburg, uh, this is, you know, you have generals occupying unsound positions and attacking an assailable position. And then the North, when they're in the South, especially under General Sherman, uh, they're mistreating the common people there. So uh, just really awful. Um, and like I said before, what people do in wartime, they start to do in their ordinary lives. And so after this, there is an entire generation of uh, misbehavior that follows through. You have, um, if you really want to look at some fundamentals of strategy, that's in line 290, uh, defending position, uh, do battle as if defending a position, respect planning, respect operations, uh, etc. respect the enemies, respect your subordinates. In line 357, it says that military forces are that by which one prohibits violence and does away with what is harmful. They are not for struggle and contention. In other words, your military is not for conquering other people. They are there to defend you. They are there to defend you, not to conquer other people. And that's something that people should understand. And it's not simply a land army that's walking across the land and doing battle formally. It's anything else. So you can think about what constitutes war. Sanctions, do those constitute war where you're blocking off trade from almost all the world? Um, is it war to go in and manipulate someone else's internal politics? You can think about those things as well. And the world is just embroiled in this kind of manipulative struggling for contention, uh, struggling and contention for advantage. So Ren and E are the foundation, and then you still have these military forces in order to defend. Um, and he's reluctant to act in, uh, act violently even though occasionally, even though sometimes it would be necessary. So again, ritual is the height of good order and proper distinction. It is a fundamental point for making this way strong. It is a way to inspire awe pervasively. Um, that's line 405. Um, in this section, Li Shi is, is questioning Shunzhen. Li Shi is um, instrumental in bringing power to Qin such that Qin is able to become the whole empire. And Li Xi has a poor reputation among, among the Ru, the Confucians, because Qin itself has a poor reputation. It is a hegemonic state that has a lot of power, but doesn't hold on to it for too long. 
But most importantly, this is not leadership based on virtue, and Chen is not acting towards cultivating a harmonious society. They over they use what's called legalism, which is in other words to to rely heavily on laws and punishments and incentives to get people to act certain ways. And so it does not use, it does not make much use of inspiring people to do what's morally good. And so that state is very similar to how most modern societies work. We use law, we use punishments, and so people if they don't feel like they're about to be punished or could be punished, do whatever they wish. They're not acting with a sense of shame. They're not acting in accordance with morality. So again, um, we have Li Shi and he says, Qin is the most powerful uh, country, the most powerful kingdom for four generations because Instead of using Ren and E to accomplish this, it merely pursues affairs according to what's expedient. Expediency is another way to say what's practical. And, uh, you know, that's something that is said a lot about these uh, major hegemons today, China, America. They do what's practical. It's not ideologically driven. It's just what's practical. And that does not work too well. Uh, because the foundation is not very good and whatever resources that you do have, you waste pretty quickly. And so you see with both these countries in the next couple of decades, there are going to be very hard times in these countries. Things are going to fall apart very quickly and people are going to say, how could such a great country, how should such a powerful country fall apart like this? Because the foundation is not Ren and E, they're using what is quote-unquote expedient, they're using strategies, they're using, um, they're using deception, they're using incentives, they're not using what is good, and so the common people are the first to suffer from this, but overall, even the, the people who have official status and rank, they do badly as well. There's this section in line 474 that states the, the situation pretty well. In serving as people's ruler and superior, if the way that one treats the common people is lacking in Li, Yi, loyalty, and trustworthiness, how can one simply think to make thoroughgoing use of rewards, prizes, punishments, penalties, circumstantial conditions, and deception to control one's people, subject them to austerity and reap accomplishments and results from them. If in the event a large raiding force came, then if one were to send them to hold an endangered city, they would surely commit treason. If they were to meet the enemy and be placed in battle, they would surely turn their backs and run. If they were tasked with some bitter endeavor or burdened with some disgraceful undertaking, they would surely flee away. Quickly they would head off and the subordinates would, on the contrary, put a stop to their superiors. And this is what's going to happen uh, with these places, is that there's not going to be loyalty, there's not going to be awe-inspired uh, loyalty, and so people will simply flee.
and so it's better to have a, a, um, a situation where uh, you have stable government laws and it becomes settled practice and people's customs will become unified and the common people will know how to uh, cultivate their superior's model and imitate its intentions and will feel at ease with and delight in this because the leadership is good. They're going to follow naturally their leaders. The last thing that is worth paying attention to here for our lecture today is uh, line 550, uh, 541. Um, Shows is talking about, well, this phrase here is capturing a people, but this is not capturing them by force. This is um, how to get them to follow you. So the first is through virtue, the second one is through coercive force, and then the last one is through wealth. So um, if you use your virtue, then the people have loyalty to you. And they, they look at you as if you were a, a father figure. If you use force to capture a people, you gain the territory, but you lose your own forces in doing so. So that's, in a sense, expensive. The last one is to use wealth to capture a people. And in this case, you are giving maybe food, you're giving maybe uh, money, uh, you know, you're essentially paying them to be with you. And so your, your own state becomes poorer. What's very interesting, going back to this reality that America is very wealthy in resources, think about how impoverished uh, the common people are. And this is because the country is not based on Ren, Yi, and Li. It is constantly using force to dominate other countries and using money to get them on uh, their side. And this could be said for um, other hegemons like China and so forth. So I'm not you know, selectively criticizing one or the other. My point is that this is still something that happens today. And you see these places, they have vast amounts of territory, they have a lot of resources, but the people are poor. The people are poor in spirit and they are poor materially speaking. And this is because of all the wastefulness, because the government is not doing what it should be doing. It is not Ren, it is not Yi, it is not Li. And so they use things like strategy deception, bribery, payment, rewards, incentives, punishments, threats. They do all of these things and that's all very expensive. And so the common people are the ones to pay the price of that. Overall, Shunzi is saying, do not get caught up. If you are the, if you are the king, if you are the leader, if you're not a general, don't get caught up in things like military strategy. Don't get caught up in things like the art of war. That's good if you are a general. But if you are a leader, a leader of a country, not an army, 
a country. Your mentality needs to be different. Your mentality needs to be about developing a good culture, having good people, educating the people. Personally, in your own behavior, abiding by Ren, Yi, and Li, being moral, being righteous, trying to have justice in your country, having a beautiful culture, acting with respect, having the culture encourage people to be better human beings. These are your primary concerns. And then the generals can do their job. The generals can defend their country. Because otherwise, if you don't have this, your grasp on power is going to slip away. You're going to waste your resources. And whether you are victorious or not, is going to rely much on luck, whether it's luck for that day or being lucky enough to have territory that has a lot of resources or is, is advantageous because your people are not going to be loyal to you and your, your, um, your people are not going to be loyal to you and long term you are not going to succeed because you're burning through all the natural resources that you have been lucky to have to, from the beginning.